Hello, hello, and welcome to LCC. Woo! Oh, some claps. Oh, I was, I was expecting you guys to say, wait, you wouldn't say welcome to me, though. I was expecting you guys to say welcome. That was a mistake on my part. I know what I should have said. Here we go. Good morning. Good morning. That's what you respond to. I'm so sorry. My name is Brett Machat. I am the worship and young adult pastor around these parts. And we're excited. We've got a pretty cool service for you guys. Uh, okay, I, I need you all to raise your hands with me if, if you're in the same boat as me. Raise your hand if you got stuck somewhere driving your car around. I pulled into my friend's neighborhood Friday night and just immediately got stuck and was like, uh-oh. Thankfully, I found some muscly armed people that were able to push me out. Not me, I was in the car driving away. But this weather was crazy, and I'm sure for a lot of you, maybe, maybe for some of you it might have been no big deal, maybe for some of you it was a huge deal, uh, but at least we were able to go through it together. Uh, some people I know got off school, my wife's a teacher, she was excited to have those snow days. But anyways, I wanna tell you some of the things that we have going on around here at LCC. Uh, if you didn't know, the Hilliard Food Pantry is right in our back warehouse over here. They're located there, and we are doing a street run Excuse me. And that is going to start next Sunday. You can sign up to pick up filled bags the next Saturday after that. But what we're going to be doing is we're going to be passing out bags that people can then fill up for the Hilliard Food Pantry. That's going to be next Sunday. If you want more details on that, check out our website, mylcc.info. It's got all the details you need. Also, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we voted on a shirt design for our Honduras missions trips teams that are going out pretty soon. And we voted on it, and we decided last week, you guys saw the winning design, you can actually go and order it online at, you guessed it, mylcc.info. You can order your t-shirts, they are super cool, that goes, and that supports our friends and family that are going to Honduras uh, this spring. Um, and I believe that that is it. No, we have a guest reception. If you are here and this is your first time, we would love to get to know you. It's gonna be right out in the lobby, in that direction that I am pointing, there's a big welcome sign written in green. We would love to get to know you and see you there. So before the rest of our service, we're going to ask that you guys stand with us. We're going to join our voices together. We're going to worship our living God this morning. Heavenly Father, I love the hope that these songs offer because you have risen and you're going to be there for us. You're our solid ground. You're our anchor. And that when hard times come, we don't have to take care of it, that you're going to do it for us. And I hope that people can leave with that hope for this week going forward. I ask that you bless this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Wow, the, those lyrics, we will not be moved though the earth gives way. What a, what a song for our times. What a powerful, powerful song. Um, welcome. I'm Dan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, I'd love to, to meet you. Got to meet some new people this morning. Um, I love, I love the church. I love LCC. I love that that Jesus is the head of the church, and that we are growing to become more and more uh, like Him. He's done so much uh, for us through the cross, and continues to to transform our hearts day by day, um, and even through good good things and through hard things too. Um, we as a church have two distinct spaces where we live out um, our vision, and, and this is uh, based on the Bible. And it's in the large collective wing on Sundays here, and it's in our small groups 
Um, if you've been around here, most of you know that uh, we think both of these are really vital to our becoming disciples of Jesus. So last week, I began taking just a couple minutes to, to recount, to recap our vision, why it is we do what we do, um, and specifically our vision from last summer. If you were here, you remember that our team was up here, all of us on stage, and we went through uh, kind of where we were setting the course ahead. Uh, that came out of a season of, with, of just being with the Lord, sensing his leading, um, and we want to keep that in front of you just so when things happen, you go, oh, that's why they're doing, that's why we're, we're going that direction. So here's, I just want to kind of recap some of, of that to keep in front of us. Um, one of the things that came out of that was we need donuts at the coffee bar every week. <laughs> and so we want to thank Mateo for that. So that was the first to get out of the way. Um, one of the points was we need to aim clearly. Our groups are the primary outlet of our small wing. And that's where we invest. Um, that doesn't mean people can't be in biblical community outside of those groups. We can celebrate that. Uh, but we're still going to point people to, to the group life in our groups. And we just, it's our priority that you be in a small family, um, period. And if that happens, that's, that's fantastic. We're always going to point there because that's where we invest our time and our resources in, in the foundation of biblical community. So that was one of the main uh, things we talked about last summer. Now, in those groups, this is the second thing. In those groups, we, we have leaders in those groups. And the role of those leaders is to shepherd the group. That means to protect the people in that group, to, to care for, to oversee, to help them grow, uh, to equip and to guide the group to Jesus and towards others in the group. If you were at the group training recently, we've talked a lot about that, but I don't think all of us have heard that, so I want to just bring that up again. Um, and each of our groups, we've, we've got many groups, but each of them are distinct because uh, each leader is different and everybody in the group, uh, God has gifted in different ways. So um, it's important to know that just like two churches don't look the same, our groups are not always gonna look the same, but our aim is to equip them and really to let the Holy Spirit <laughs> lead the group um, to grow into the head, which is Jesus. So um, we want people in our groups to love Jesus, to love others and to grow into that. So our group leader is, helps guide everyone in that way. And sometimes organizations need to, to get out of their own way. They get in the way of that by, by adding these things. And so we, we really, out of that, that time with the Lord, we just sense the need to simplify. Okay, a third thing, our, our coaches. We have coaches, all right? And they, they are essential to shepherding and to developing the leaders of those groups. Um, we're going to see today, in, in, as we start a series on First Thessalonians, this dynamic of what it looks like to share lives with people in the body and help them grow into disciples. Uh, we coach through living life, through partnering with our group leaders. Uh, we're going to keep moving towards this as the primary role of our elders that are part of our church. Uh, this may be new information to you, but our our elders coach our small group leaders, and we're gonna to continue to do that, to walk alongside them and grow in that. Um, and then a final, a final thing is, for those, for those small group families, we, we, as I said before, we want to simplify, love God, love others, and bring other people into those groups to know him. Beyond that, we take a seasonal approach. There's a lot of things a group, as you look at the scriptures, a group could be and that God's called us to, uh, we take a seasonal approach. So there are times when we, uh, one of our groups might get weak at reaching out or might get weak at serving or, or growing in their faith. Um, and so we take a seasonal approach to that. Let's focus on getting this muscle going and getting it healthy. 
Um, so that was that came out of uh, our our time too. Like I said, if, if you were at the group training, you heard a lot of this, but I want to keep this in front of us so that you're not surprised uh, by some of the things that you might see that come out of that. Um, I'll be sharing more in the weeks ahead. Uh, but for now, we are starting, we're kicking off a new series today, and it is, this book is amazing. You're going to see a church um, in Thessalonica that was unique, that was different than uh, the other churches that we see in some of other Paul, Paul's letters, but um, you're going to see a church that is urgently waiting, urgently waiting for Jesus. So take a look at this. The city of Thessaloniki sits on the coast of the Aegean Sea in northern Greece. It's a large city with a significant regional influence, and it is quite literally built on top of the ancient city of Thessalonica. In the first century, that ancient city was a thriving metropolitan area and home to many Jews of the diaspora who freely worshiped Yahweh in their own synagogue. In his travels, the Apostle Paul visited Thessalonica, spending a short season there sharing the good news of Jesus. Many Jews and Gentiles received the message and became followers of Christ. Shortly after Paul's visit, he received a good report about the faith of this young church. And the book of 1 Thessalonians is his God-inspired letter of encouragement to them to stay the course and keep up the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. While the letter addresses many topics, it clearly focuses on the promised return or appearing of Jesus in the future to put an end to the persecution and suffering of the saints. Join us as we look at this letter and ask how we can grow from the word of God as given to the church of Thessalonica. This is the book of 1 Thessalonians, or a study in urgently waiting. Not sure whose voice that was, but he sounds smart. <laughs> and attractive. Um, I want to start this word uh, with a story. Um, it's, a, it's a story of a, a young boy who shall remain anonymous for the purpose of the story, but uh, I promise you this is a true story. When this boy was about four or five years old, uh, on Mother's Day, he was outside playing. He was playing um, at a family gathering at, at someone else's house. Their house, uh, this house, uh, the, the back of the house opened up to a golf course, okay? And, um, and that between the house and the golf course was a, was a hill, a nice sized hill with some trees on it. And... Um, this boy was alone, he didn't have anybody to, to play with him, so he was just out, you know, having a good time, imagining things and, and attacking whatever was going on out there. And, um, and, uh, and, and he's, he is oblivious to the fact that, that everyone in the house can see him, okay? And um, there's large windows and, and glass doors that everyone in the house is sitting there, gathered around. Uh, it, was, it was Mother's Day, but in this family it was sort of uh, Grandmother's Day. Uh, there was a, a matriarch in, in the family that was there, and, and everyone's talking, enjoying um, one another's company, when suddenly one member of the family looks and says, uh, what is he doing? And everyone in the house turns and looks outside on the hill, where a young boy stands with his britches down around his ankles, um, doing what nature called him to do at that moment. He was on the side of the hill where no one from the golf course could see him, but he was clearly um, visible to everyone in the house. That young boy's father, later that day, <clears throat> um, asked him and said, hey, I have a question. If you were out playing and you needed to, to use the restroom, what would you do? 
And the young boy with perfect said, oh, I was outside, I would, I would come in, I'd wipe my feet. I'd head in, I'd go in the bathroom, I'd close the door behind me, I'd go to the bathroom, I'd wash my hands, make sure the bathroom was gone, and I'd, I'd go back out to play. And that young boy's father said, well then, why did you pee on the hill? And the boy said, you saw that? <laughs> and um, the father said, all of the city saw it, son. <laughs> Couldn't miss it, okay? Now, tell the story, right? And here's the thing. How does our behavior change when we know someone's watching us? Or how does it change, maybe a more poignant way to ask is, how does our behavior change when we're quite certain that no one's watching us? When we think that there's no eyes on us, when we've been, we've been maybe given something to do, and then those in authority or those in charge or whoever gave us the thing to do is no longer there watching what we're doing. How does that affect our behavior? How does it, how does it, how does it impact the way we go about our lives? We are starting this series this morning. This series is, um, it's in, uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians for several months, Okay. And, uh, and, and we, we, I start with that story and that question because here's the thing. Um, the, the church in Thessalonica was a church that Paul had visited and was there for a relatively short period of time. Paul the apostle called by God to take the gospel to the, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And he'd been in the city of Thessalonica, but just for a short period of time, and then he left. And when he left, it wasn't like they were abandoned. There were other Sort of, sort of leaders in the church that kind of came and went, but Paul had no report from them. He didn't hear anything from them. And so we want to look at, um, you know, we're talking about a particular place, right? And it's no good to talk about a place without looking at a map that's going to show you where this is, right? So here's the Mediterranean world. I'm going to, this is, I, I, I realize I can get bogged down here. I'm going to do this quickly, Okay. So here's the Mediterranean world, the Mediterranean Sea in the middle there, you see Africa on the bottom, Europe on the top, and then Asia Minor, Middle East, Asia Minor to, to the right, okay? And, and it, if, we, if we look at the biblical story in Acts chapter 15, so I put the number there to indicate, Acts chapter 15, sort of all the leadership of the church was gathered together in Jerusalem, which is down there where that number 15 is, roughly. They were all gathered together, they were addressing this issue of like, what do we do with the fact that this this Faith in Jesus started as a Jewish thing, and, but there's all these Gentiles coming, and they ask some important questions for them. They answer those questions, and then from there, um, in Acts chapter 16, Paul takes like, the, the answer to that, which was like, all are welcome here. There's a few things, like sort of cultural things that people are being asked to do, but he's going to take that message back out to the rest of the world. So in Acts chapter 16, he goes up here into what is today modern-day Turkey. It was a region of Galatia. Okay, so he goes up there, and he's, he's sharing that message. And then from there, he tries to, or he starts to go to the east. Okay, he starts to go to the east, towards what would, I mean, if you go far enough, you get into to India and different spaces. The gospel did wind up going there, but he tells us, Paul, in Acts chapter 16, he says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, to speak the word or the truth in Asia, which is what they would have called that region at that point in time. For, now, we don't get any more detail than that. I wish I knew what that meant and what that was. But he had a very clear message from the Holy Spirit that they could not go to the east. Um, at the same time, he receives a vision. 
And that vision was of a man of Macedonia. Macedonia is that area where the arrow is pointed. It's northern Greece. He sees a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to come and bring the news to them. So they go, he and his, his traveling uh, partners. So zoom in, okay? This is Macedonia. The arrow is pointed to the, the edge of Macedonia, northern Greece. In Macedonia, the, the major city of Macedonia is the city of Philippi. Um, long story short, there were a lot of Philippi's in the ancient world. It's because Alexander the Great's father, was, his name was Philip, uh, Philip of Macedon. And as Alexander the Great went all over the world and, and conquered the world, he named a lot of cities Philippi after his father, okay? When Caesar did the same thing, and it really gets confusing when you look at certain places where you have places called Caesarea Philippi. That's way too confusing. You've got Caesar and Philip all going on. Who's in charge here? How did this city come to be? We don't know. It's not the point for today. The point for today is, okay, Paul and his, his traveling companions, they take the gospel into what is modern-day Europe, Okay? They go into to, to Macedonia. They go to Philippi. Uh, there's a great story in, in Acts chapter 16 about uh, uh, Paul and, his, and Silas are thrown in prison, and there's an earthquake, and they stay, and the, the, the guard is going to kill himself. And, and be, when he sees that they stayed, they, he says, like, what do I need to do to be saved? It's a great story. It's also not today's story, okay? Because where we're going today is just about a day's walk from Philippi, okay? Maybe a little more than a day, okay? If, day if you're going quick. But it's, it's, it's the city of Thessalonica, okay? Thessalonica sits on the coast of the kind of northern Aegean Sea there up in a really protected harbor. Um, it is, um, we mentioned in the, in the video, Thessaloniki the, is the current day Greek city. It's still there. It's a city of roughly 850,000 people, kind of similar to Columbus in size in that way, okay? Um, but, but it's, it's well-preserved. And, and Thessalonica, the ancient city, the, new, the modern city of Thessaloniki is literally built, built right on top of the ancient city of Thessalonica. Like you can, there are, there are uh, archaeological tours of, of the streets that, that Paul and his companions would have walked on. Like it's still there. It's fascinating. They went to build some subways and couldn't because they ran into archaeological wonders underneath the city, okay? But they go to Thessalonica. And this is, there's a short stay there. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17, um, uh, verses 1 through 9, and, and Paul goes to Thessalonica. He goes into the synagogue to, to teach the, the news about Jesus to the Jews first. And uh, it says, some of them believed, but there were more of the Greeks, more of the Gentiles who believed. And it tells us in Acts 17 that this made the Jews jealous. And so they did the most rational thing, which was they went to, to the home of a man named Jason. Jason was uh, Paul's host, and they have Jason thrown in prison, Okay. Paul and, and is, is encouraged at that point in time to leave Thessalonica, okay? Uh, so, so bail is paid for Jason. He gets out. Paul decides for the good of these people, he's going to leave. He goes down the road to a city in Berea, um, which we, I didn't put on the map. It's very close to Thessalonica. He goes down the street, to, down, the, down the road to a city named uh, Berea. And, in, and we read in Acts chapter 17 as well that it says that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, Okay? Because they received the word, they, they received the word, but they tested it against the scriptures, okay? Now, that seems to be a statement about the Jews and not necessarily all of the church uh, in Thessalonica, but it says, honestly, that's kind of all it says. And then the story moves on, okay? And very quickly, Paul goes south from there. From Berea, he wanders down and probably takes a boat down to, he winds up in Athens, another famous story there, Athens by himself. And then he settles in the city of Corinth, settles, settles in Corinth for, for a year and a half or more, okay? He's in the city of Corinth. Now, here's where, okay, all that, all that's background. 
to get us to this point. While he's in Corinth, while he's in Corinth, he is rejoined by others who had been part of the group that he had left in the city of Thessalonica. Specifically, when he leaves Thessalonica, it sounds like the author of the book of Acts, Luke, was probably there and then stayed in Thessalonica. And uh, Timothy, who the books of First and Second Timothy in the, in the New Testament are written to, Timothy was left behind, but Paul and Silas moved on to Berea. And, then, and at some point, it sounds like Paul went to Athens by himself, and then they all reconnect in Corinth. And when they get to Corinth, during that period of time, Paul's rejoined by all these people, and he gets, like, he gets stories about all the other churches. He's been in, I mean, again, this is the first century, okay? There was, there was no, no Instagram to update on what's going on up the road in Philippi. He's waiting for someone to come and tell him what's going on. And, and we were quite certain that while he's in Corinth, Okay? He's, he has about a year and a half or to, uh, to two years that he spends in Corinth. And while he's there, he writes the letter of, of first, what we call First Thessalonians, this first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And it's, it's, it's an interesting letter for many reasons, but it's interesting in its tone. It's very different from a lot of Paul's other writing. The best way to get a feel for that is to read it, right? So if you've got your Bible and you'll, and you'll turn to First Thessalonians with me, it's, in a, it's towards the back of your Bible if, if uh, you're, you're grabbing this for the first time. First Thessalonians, uh, it's in a string of T's. It's the first of the T's. First, second Thessalonians, first, second Timothy, Titus are all together there. But we're going to read through chapter one. We're going to read through chapter one. So first Thessalonians chapter one. This is the letter that Paul writes, we assume from the city of Corinth, back to this church in Thessalonica that he had visited for just a short period of time, okay? And it says this, Paul, Silvanus, or that's Silas, and Timothy, that's who's together at this point, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. This is a standard greeting, okay? Dear so-and-so, here's who's sending you a letter, okay? Keep reading, verse two. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Okay? So Paul prays for them and he, he says, he says we, like, you know, we remember your work. We remember how, how like, that while we were with you, it was a short period of time, but we remember that you were about work. You went to work, Okay? And that you had a, a, a steadfast or steady hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also says this at the end. He says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you. Okay? That like you, you, have, you, you are uniquely fit for, for God's work. He's chosen you. How do we know this? Verse 5, because, he says, because our gospel, the good news, it came to you not only in word, like we didn't just speak it to you, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so in, in summary, it sounds like when, when the gospel was received in Thessalonica, there were in all likelihood some miraculous signs that would have been similar to other places in the, in, in, in the New Testament that the, the Holy Spirit came and they received um, not just the gospel message, but they also, there was a, a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit confirming that this was God's work. 
Keep reading. So you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Keep reading. And you became imitators of us. You followed our path, he says. And of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. There was, you received it, and it was not easy, in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Macedonia and Achaia is basically what we would call, together we would call that Greece. Keep reading. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, the word about this church in Thessalonica, the good news, it wasn't just the good news about them, it wasn't just contained to like the areas around them, but he says here, your faith has gone forth everywhere. So the we need not say anything. Like we, anywhere we go, we don't have to say, we don't have to tell everybody what you're doing. Everybody just knows that the church in Thessalonica is, is thriving, okay? So Paul's received this word back and he's commending them. He's commending them. In the last couple of verses here, he says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. For all around the world, they talk about how you received us, he says. The reception we, Paul and his companions, had among you. And how, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So he says, look, you received us and you've been at work and the whole world is hearing it. The world knows about it. The, what, what you've done has gone out and the, the message has spread everywhere about the way that you've done this. So this is the first chapter of this letter. It's, a, it's an introduction to the church. It's, it's a, a little bit of history about them, where, where, they, where they are and, 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 and what they've done and, and why they're commended and why Paul's writing. And, and in some ways, like I said, there's some standard things in there. Paul pray, Paul's prayer for them, you can see similar prayers in other places. But it's also uniquely positive amongst the, the writings of Paul in the first century. Um, he, has, he has very little to say to them in the way of correction. It's, it's almost all encouragement. It's almost all encouragement. But there is something that's, that's sort of hanging there. There's something that's hanging there. And it's what I'm gonna call today a strange truth, okay? It's just a strange truth. He, he says it, and he almost says it as a throwaway, and if we didn't know the rest of the book of 1 Thessalonians, we might be tempted to just sort of overlook this. But if you look at those last couple verses, particularly verse 10, but if you look at those last couple verses, to read it again, in ver, the second half of verse 9, he says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and then he says this, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us, from the wrath to come. They were waiting for Jesus to return, to come from heaven. It's kind of a strange idea. And it's an idea that stands in, at times in, in the backdrop of everything in 1 Thessalonians. But it also, in other places in 1 Thessalonians, it moves to the forefront. It seems to indicate, or we, we, this verse and others, but they, it seems to indicate to us that, that, that the church in Thessalonica was, had, had, a, had a question or there was something that they were dealing with that Paul's referencing here and writing about. 
It's, it, it may be the thing that prompted him to write this letter. When, when Timothy joined him in Corinth and gave this report about the church in Thessalonica that they were doing great, even though Paul and his group had been with them for such a short period of time, and now they weren't watching, no one was really watching them, they were continuing to thrive with the gospel message. So they get this good report, but they have this question. There's something that in the midst of what was shared with them, that part of the hope of Jesus isn't, it, 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 clearly it includes his death for our sin and his resurrection as a victory over the grave and his ascension into heaven, but also the promise that he's going to return that that was part of the story. And the church in Thessalonica was wrestling with that. And and if I'm going to be honest, this is kind of a strange truth, that Christ is going to return or reappear. But it's what we see here in this story, that he's going to, Christ is going to return. Now, if you've been around the church for a long time, that probably isn't a strange truth. Like, I grew up in a place where we talked about the return of Christ all the time, okay? And I responded to that, okay? At, at times, I responded in, with, like, I don't, I, I'm a kind of afraid of it. At other times, I responded with skepticism. But this idea may be, it may not be strange to you, it may be familiar to you. And if it's familiar to you, you probably fall into kind of one or two camps today, okay? If this is a, a familiar idea to you, you probably fall into one of these two camps. One camp would be, Oh, please don't talk about that. Don't talk about Jesus' return. Don't talk about, I grew up, and I grew up in a place where I'll be honest, this is kind of my standard response. I heard about it so much growing up. It was at the center of everything we talked about. They made movies about it and wrote songs about it, and it's all we ever, can we not talk about that? But here's the problem. It's in the text. It's part of the scriptures. It's part of God's story. The promise that Jesus is going to return. So I can't just say I'm sick of hearing about it. I can't just say, gosh, we spent so much time talking about this when I was a boy. I don't want to talk about it as an adult. It's part of the story. You may be like me in, the way, in, the, in, in, in one way and unlike me in another in that you heard about this a lot and, and you may fall into a different basket and say like, gosh, I don't think we talk about it enough. We need to talk about this more. We need to talk about this all the time. Okay? We, don't talk, we don't talk about it enough. That's, if that's where you are, that's where you are. And I, I mean, here's the thing, we're gonna talk about it a lot over the next couple months, okay? So that itch is gonna get scratched because it's, it's all over the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's all over the book of 1 Thessalonians. But you may not, if, if that's your camp, I, I want you to be open to maybe hearing, hearing some surprising things in this as we go through. Now, you may be sitting here today and you may say like, Tom, I don't know what you're talking about. With Jesus is coming back, like Jesus, what, what's going on? And that may be where you are, and that's why I say this may be a strange idea to you, and, and, and that's okay. And given that, let me just share with you something that we talk about around here from time to time and try to use this as a way to frame our understanding of the work of God, okay? We would say, as quickly as I can, we would say that the, the story of God is a story that takes place in four chapters, Not all chapters are equal in length, but each of them is equal in its importance in the work of God, okay? And so the first chapter is is the chapter of creation. We read about it throughout the Bible, but obviously primarily at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter one. And the, the chapter of creation, the story of creation is the world that God created as it ought to be, 
Okay, this is the way God things ought to be. But we very quickly in the scriptures in Genesis chapter three, sin comes in and it ruins the whole thing. And that's chapter two, sin. That, that sin is, 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 is the, the self-focused, self-desired, uh, self-desired actions that we take. It's, it's the harm that we do. It's, it's our disobedience to our maker who said things ought to be this way. And we've said, I've got better ideas, okay? And so chapter two, the chapter of sin, is, is the world that is. It's just sort of like, it's the stuff that happens. It's the things that are done that, are, that, that hurt and harm. It's, it's death, neglect, abuse. Sometimes it's just indifference. We don't care. But that chapter is there in the story, the chapter of, of sin. The third chapter, though, is the chapter of redemption. And, and immediately in Genesis chapter 3, this chapter of, of God's story begins when, when, when the promise of someone who's going to come to undo the curses of sin. The promised one is coming. And that promised one is Jesus. We live, we live in the shadow of the work of God with the, the coming, because we're moving into the coming glory and light of the fourth chapter, which is the recreation, or we might say consummation, or completion, or glorification. There's lots of words we could use here, but it's the future kingdom, the fourth chapter. Now, here's the deal. We, we look at chapters one and chapters four, and there's an element of faith. I wasn't there at creation. I trust that, that God has done it. And in chapter four with recreation, I haven't seen it yet. I trust, I believe, it's, it's faith that, that, that prompts me to believe that it will be. What I experience is chapter, what we experience really is chapters two and three. It's the struggle between sin and redemption. That, those are the chapters we're living in. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, or in 1 Thessalonians, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and here at the end of chapter one, there's an emphasis, and throughout this book, there's gonna be an emphasis on this fourth chapter, okay? On this reality. That, that a future kingdom is coming. Like God is going to make everything right. The end of the story is written from his perspective. He's given us glimpses at what it looks like, little bits of information. He's revealed it to, 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 the, to the apostles to see tastes of it. But we haven't fully experienced it yet. It doesn't mean that those other chapters aren't real. It doesn't mean that Paul's neglecting them or that they don't exist. It just means that there's this question about, about, about Christ's return, which is the event that initiates chapter four, the world that will be. It's like the first line of the first page of the last chapter of God's story. Okay? And they have questions about it. Has it happened? When will it happen? Kind of the same kind of questions we ask. When is the big one, right? But what's, what's, what's it going to be like? And they're asking these questions, and we're going to see answers that Paul gives to them. But he seems to be making a point, okay? He seems to be making a point before he gets to all of that. He's going to deal with this critical question, okay? And we see it in chapter 1 at the outset. How do we live living in chapters two and three of that story, how do we live with 
a faith and a trust that chapter four is every bit as real as chapters two and three and one. How do we live now, present tense, trusting and believing that Christ will return, that Christ will reappear, when, quite frankly, just in my head, there's plenty of reason to be skeptical still, right? I mean, they were asking this question in the first century, the middle of the first century, probably around A.D. 50. Nearly 2,000 years ago, they believed they were living at a point where they were going to witness Christ's reappearance. That was nearly 2,000 years ago. It's challenging for me to maintain my hope and optimism in it. it. I feel skepticism in my soul. That skepticism isn't right, but I feel it. But 1 Thessalonians is going to focus on in the meantime, sort of like an emphasis on chapters 3 and 4, right? Like, Keep chapter four in mind. Christ is going to return. But in the meantime, we can live in a certain way. We can live in a certain way. And he tells us in this first chapter that the Thessalonians, that the church in Thessalonica was doing a good job of this. They had a good reputation. They had a good reputation. And so he says these things about the church in in Thessalonica in praise of them. He says several things. He says a lot, but I want to just drill down on a few. He said this. He said that they received the truth even in hardship. So what does it look like to sort of live in anticipation of, of the coming promise of Christ's return, but not lose sight of the reality that we have a life to live right now? What does that look like? And he says, you're doing a good job of this. You receive the truth even in hardship, back in verse six, he said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word, the truth, in much affliction. There was trouble. It was, it was not easy for them to receive the word. That, that accepting the truth about Christ, it led to all kinds of consequences in their life that made their lives more difficult. Is that, do any of us feel that today? That staying true and faithful to the the truth, the word about Christ, it kind of makes life tougher, not easier. To walk consistently in the truth of who Jesus is, it doesn't make life just all my troubles just float away. It, it, it very often puts me at odds with the world around me. We're very similar to this church in Thessalonica. Can we receive the word even though it's difficult? The second thing about their good reputation, he says, is you turn from idols to God. You turn from idols to God. You, they change the direction of their life. Verse 9, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He says, you, you were headed one direction, you wound up going a different direction. There's all kinds of idols, there's all kinds of idolatry, there's all kinds of things that we worship. There's the classics, right? Like money and fame and power. But we also sort of have these other idols of comfort and amusement that we worship. 
We worship the idols of, of, of independence or autonomy that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own decision. Those are idols that we, we worship. We're still confronted with the same issues that they were, that they were confronted with in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. The world around us tries to persuade us, convince us to live a certain way, to just, just worship the idols of the land. This is what everyone does. This is normal. But Paul says, no, no, the church in Thessalonica, you were, you're commended. I'm, in, I'm encouraged by you because you turned away from the cultural icons. You turned your back on them in order to pursue God. What is it that, that, that we give our attention and our resources to? That's what the idols demanded attention. They demanded that resources be given. What are the things that demand our attention, that demand our resources? Is it entertainment? Is it, is it activity and function? For some of us that are parents, is it, is it sort of like maybe the idol of our children and making our lives revolve around them and then somehow justifying how good that is. Even though it costs us when it comes to the things that God's told us to pursue. We're sacrificing community. We're sacrificing our, our time in the scriptures. We're sacrificing serving our neighbor. Can we, do we, do we see any of these idols in our own life? Again, maybe the, the classics are still in play for you. Maybe it's, Maybe it is money. I just still pursuing it. Maybe it's maybe it's notoriety. I don't know, but there's this turning from idols. He says, "I commend you. I commend you. I'm encouraged by you. This is a good reputation." And then finally, he says, "They stayed at work. They stayed at work." <clears throat> I say finally. He said this before the others, but. He said in verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They stayed at work. You see, it, it can be tempting, it can be tempting for us to, to look at the reality, maybe, maybe to trust so much that we actually go into autopilot. It's all going to end anyway. Christ is going to return. What does today matter? And Paul says, no, today matters is of utmost importance. It's critical. Because today is the point that touches eternity for you. Not yesterday and not tomorrow. Today is the day. What we do with today is the day that matters. And so be about your work. Be about your labor. And, and the labor in our Lord Jesus Christ. The work we do for him, with him. The work of the body of the church. And so we find ourselves like today in the exact same spot that the church in Thessalonica was in in the first century. We're still waiting, at least I am. I'm waiting. I don't have it all worked out. I have the same questions really that they did in many ways. How will I know? How close are we to Christ's return? But what I also find, I don't have just the same questions, the answer is the same too, right? Can we stay as urgent in our mindset that Christ is coming? 
He'll return. He will. The scriptures reveal it. It's up to us to believe it. And do that without losing sight of the fact that that, that doesn't let us off the hook for today. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, allow us to let go of the work that God's put in front of us. We're still living in a reality of redemption. The work of God through his people, the church. To bring about the, the conditions that he tells us are possible when we walk by faith. Can we follow the example of the church in Thessalonica? So here's that question again and one more. How do we live while waiting on his return? But also this, what would be the report of our church? Now, some of you bristle right away. I know it, right? Because we don't believe that we're somehow responsible. We've been told, like, you can't control your reputation. I get it, right? I get it. But I would also tell you that we have a lot of cultural baggage around reports and reputation. We have a lot of cultural baggage around, around individual versus the collective group. Like, I'm not responsible for all of that. And no, you're not responsible for what the person over there does or the person, I get it, okay? But we, we as a collective group are responsible when we enter into community and fellowship with one another, we take up the responsibility together to be about the work of God. I don't want to sell you a different version of church because it's that any other version is not the version of, of the, the, the scriptures. But what's told to us in the scriptures is that we're in this together. We're in this together. And so our report is our report. But the work that we're about is the work that we're about. Like, there's no us, them in this. And so I ask today, and as we go through this series, we're gonna look at this, these questions and, and, and the issues that face this church that in so many ways would be so similar to us. What do we, what do we want to be known for? What report do we want to be given about our activity? I'm going to ask you to, to talk about that in your groups this week. Wrestle with that. Be honest about the things that, that hold us back, the assumptions that we have, that it's not my job, it's not my responsibility. But as we do, I hope that we can look at what the first, uh, the first messages here Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica and start to ask, yeah, but what about us? But what about us? Let's pray together. Father, we're, um, I thank you for, uh, for your, your word and your work and I thank you for the gift of the spirit and the way that, um, that you've been at work and continue that work today. God, I... Um, I ask that you would help us to, to see your words clearly, that you would, um, you'd show us what it is that, um, that we're entering into when we enter into the body of Christ. God, would you, would you help us to, to believe, would you increase our faith that Christ, you will return and we, 
we believe it. We want to believe it not just in word, but in action. Would you help us know what it means to, uh, to live in light of that truth and at the same time to continue to, to walk with you faithfully and to be about the work of, of the good news and loving our neighbor and loving one another. And so, God, we know that you're with us, and we ask that you would um, remind us as we go of your presence and your word and your power. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. God, we're thankful for your presence today. God, we ask that you give us a spirit of patience as we eagerly await the return of your Messiah, of your Son, our God. Jesus. God, we thank you for your continual grace that never runs out. It's in your name that we pray all together. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here with us. We've had a great morning with you. It's always, I say it every week, but I don't want to, to get stale. It's always just a blessing, a huge blessing to be able to worship alongside of you guys. Um, before you leave, I have just a couple of announcements, just a, thing, a couple things I want to remind you of again. Um, first is that our Hilliard Food Pantry Street Run starts next Sunday. We're going to be passing out bags. If you guys didn't know, the Hilliard Food Pantry is right out back. We're going to be passing out bags to our local neighborhoods, and then that next Saturday, we're going to go pick up those bags. That starts next Sunday. Um, also, along with that, uh, you can go online to our website, mylcc.info, if you want to learn more about us or if you want to purchase our shirts for the Honduras missions teams that are leaving uh, pretty soon. Those shirts are really cool. We saw the design last week. Go online and buy one. Um, and also, I I've seen a lot of new faces around here. Uh, and if you're not new, then I'm sorry. I, I haven't didn't recognize you or I don't know you. <laughs> but I think I've seen a lot of new faces. We have a guest reception. It's just going to be a couple of us just some, some LCC members. We're just going to be outside. There's a big green welcome sign. We would love to get to know you, get to talk to you, talk about our groups and how great they are. We're biased, I know, but we'd love to see you there. Everybody else, have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. We will see you in your groups.